Hello. 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 And welcome to the Pioneers Post podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. I'm Tim West from Pioneers Post, and today I'm with Eddie Finch of Buzzacott Accountants, who spent a good 20 or 30 years supporting social entrepreneurs to be fit, impactful organisations. And I'm also here with Louisa Zian, a social entrepreneur who co-founded Toast Ale, a social enterprise based in London that brews beer from fresh surplus bread. Good, so welcome to Louisa Zian from Toast Ale and Eddie Finch from Buzzacott Accountants. And we are discussing today the topic of risk and impact for social ventures. Uh, we've already had a very interesting conversation about what it means to be fit as a social enterprise and all the different aspects of, of that. Um, but we didn't go into uh, in any detail really um, what risk means and what impact is all about, both of which are really core to running a good social business. So Eddie, I want to go to you first and just ask, well, what do we mean by risk? You know, we, is it about having a risk register? Is it about making big investments? Is it about, I don't know, what, how does an organisation approach the topic of risk and actually work out what they're supposed to be looking at? Yeah, and, and as you've just hinted, it's it's a huge topic risk, but it's it's essentially um, how we deal with uncertainty, mm -hmm. and and a lot of uncertainty, um, and, and I don't want to get all Donald Rumsfeld, but 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 you know we, we, we can measure some uncertainty, and if, if we can measure it, we we know how important it is to us and how we might manage around it, and I think at this stage it's really important to mention. That, that there are different ways of dealing with risks and, and, and some of the risks are around trying to make sure that the things you don't want to happen don't happen or, or you give yourself the best chance of achieving the things you want to achieve. But others are really around, and, and the pandemic's been a brilliant but tragic example of this, about how we respond to the things we, we didn't really see coming. But we know that if something really catastrophic happens, we, we've got processes and, and plans for how we'll respond and, and, and just general principles around that. But I, th I think the key thing really is, is, is risk registers are great. And, and yeah, as, as, as an auditor of charities, I have to tell people they need a risk register. What do we mean by that? I'm just a list, so, isn't it, really? Well, so a risk register is really uh, looking at, and, and typically you'd look at risk from two main dimensions. One is the likelihood of something happening mm -hmm. that you didn't want to happen, whether that's a bad thing happening or failing to achieve an objective you had. And the other is the impact of, of that thing happening. And this is impact in the sort of narrower sense than the one we're going okay. to come on to later. So, so how much um, trouble would it cause? So right. would we lose a lot of money? Would, would we lose a lot of staff? Would it stop us? And, and this is a really important point that I hope we come on to. Would it stop us achieving the, 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 the impact in the social, right. environmental sense that we um, want to achieve? And, and the risk register is really around looking at all the things that could happen uh, that, that wouldn't be desirable, but, but really prioritizing those ones that would make the most difference. So, so the highest impact events, uh, the more likely events, and, and, and just thinking about how we either manage what we do to, to minimize the chances of those happening. So, so having insurance policies, uh, having good contracting processes, all, all those things to um, stop the unfortunate events happening in the first place, but also that that kind of disaster recovery, business continuity kind of thinking of, of if something that we can't really 
manage our way out of here. If something falls out of the sky and takes our building out of use for, for a few weeks, have we got a plan for what we would do in those kind of circumstances? So it's, it's a very broad area. You could spend all your time worrying about whether people are taking pencils home and things like that, but, but we don't want to be doing that. We want to just be focusing on the things that would stop us achieving our core objectives and, and stop us being really effective. And the, the one key thing I think that a lot of social organisations don't do enough of is everybody's very good at putting pounds and pence on risks and saying, oh, we might lose 50,000 quid if this happened or 100,000 if that happened. Um, but what organisations should think just as much about is what are the things that would stop us actually achieving the, the, the outcomes, the social outcomes, the environment outcomes that we, that we want, uh, that, yeah, that we're established to achieve. And I've seen quite a lot of risk registers and you often find that, you know, people have multiples of, you know, the likelihood and the impact and they multiply them and then there's a, a red or an amber or a green or whatever in terms of how big a risk that is. Um, but as you say, kind of uh, it, the, the key thing for a social business, I guess, is well, what would happen not just to our organisation, but what would happen to the people that we yeah. care about, to the mission that we want to deliver. Um, what do you do, Louisa? Do you do you have one of those big risk registers with different <laughs> colours on and points and things? We do, yes. Yeah. Actually, it's fairly new. Um, I, I think we had conversations about risk as a team before the pandemic. And in the lead up kind of early 2020, when we were hearing the news and suspecting something was going to happen, those intensified. But we didn't have a formal process to fully document um, and think through all of the potential risk to the business and then you know, the impact and probability um, of those risks becoming reality. Um, we do now do that um, and we make sure that it's front of mind at all times, but we formally review it on a quarterly basis with our board as well um, as part of the, um, uh, of the process of, of governance for us. Um, and it's it has been really helpful, um, but you 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 were talking about the uh, the actions as a result. That is what we're using it for, and that's um, it's been really important not to just make it an academic exercise and make sure that we're focusing our our uh, resources on those priority risks and and then having a more detailed action plan perhaps than some of those that are, are down at the bottom of the list. And I think the key thing is avoiding, I think a lot of us were wasted an afternoon listening to people arguing about whether something's a three and a four or a four and a three. And that's really not the point. I think absolutely what is the thing that we're trying to address and, 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 and how do we make ourselves confident that it's being properly addressed is, is what a risk register is all about. And by addressing it, we mean uh, really working out if stuff could happen one and then what are we going to do about it yeah. when it happens mm. or what we can do to prevent it happening in right. the first place yeah right and whether um, it's worth sorry and whether it's worthwhile doing the things that we think we might be able to do to stop it happening because some risks actually yeah. that the consequences of them happening are not as bad as the way we tie the organization up in knots if we try to stop them mm. gosh it's a big old subject <laughs> it is yeah, yeah. it's massive uh, I mean, you know, and there are risks, a lot. Uh, I, I don't know if there are typical risks that you think what social enterprises should look at. I mean, we, we can't really look at the risk of a pandemic, although we just had one and we obviously that now goes on the risk register in terms of 
you know, big big events that you think might might happen that are unknown unknowns. To, to bring your Rumsfeld back to you, Eddie, but um, uh, but I guess you know big issues are things like uh, the the founder. I mean, in your case, you have three founders, don't you? Is that right? Um, but it, a lot of social enterprises have one founder, um, and I guess if the founder gets run over by a bus, you sort of think, well, what's going to happen? So I guess that needs to be one. But are there are there typical things that a, a social business should put on the risk register that may affect things more than a, a typical business? I mean, I know that you can you can get a sort of standard list of things that everyone should have, but what, what should we be talking about? There's one that, that I think is a really good example of, of when, when I talk about bringing in impact, social impact mm. in, and environmental impact into your risk assessment. So um, if you look at what uh, Fair For All Finance, one of the organisations we work with do, their, their objective is to um, make credit accessible to more people so people who are excluded from financial services uh, to bring them or bring financial services products to them in a, in a way that um, they can't currently get from the main market now if you look at a typical credit provider they would go uh, please provide me this information run it through a credit score and if the credit score comes out adversely they'll just be oh, not lending to that person whereas because fair for all are all about uh, accessibility of the product that's not the right answer because that still excludes people from credit so what they do is they look for a different way of assessing whether somebody's likely to use the credit responsibly and, and, and repay it so instead of using old-fashioned credit scores they look for other forms of evidence they could use to satisfy uh, a, a risk assessor that, that that person's a good credit risk for example so if you change the questions you're asking when you do your risk assessment so rather than what's the risk that we'll lose money um, but what is the risk that people who need money won't get it then then you assess risk in a different way so i guess you mean it's about your mission yeah absolutely so so you're looking at things from your social or envi environmental perspective rather than purely financial mm -hmm. okay louisa do you have a particular kind of lens that you look through that's a mission lens on your risk register then you explain that you do have a risk register now mm -hmm. how do you look at mission first then so because part of our mission is about funding charities, it relies on us operating as a successful business. So I think many of the risks that we're looking at are typical um, of any brewery in our case. Yeah. Um, additionally, we have our BHAG, uh, Big Hairy Audacious Goal, to achieve the 1 billion slices. So we do also look at how any of those operational risks may impact on our ability to achieve the BHAG. Um, and this is, sorry, the one billion slices is one billion slices of, of bread. Sorry, surplus bread surplus that fresh we've rescued bread that rescued from the bakery industry. Got it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and then there are a whole load of other uh, risks that come along with sourcing and unusual ingredients yeah. that we've managed um, and are fairly well managed, so they're not high up on our risk register. But... Um, uh, yeah, kind of, for example, with allergens for us, um, because we're not purchasing a straightforward malted barley product, we're purchasing bread that has potentially been in an environment where there are allergens, we have to make sure that we have the proper processes in place um, and the proper documentation, and then that we've fully declared all of the allergens on pack. Um, but I think the bigger um, risk for us in terms of social impact is the way that 
we then use those profits to fund charitable work. Uh, it's about the um, due diligence work that we do with our charitable partners um, and then the relationships that we maintain with them to ensure that that money is being spent in a way that is delivering uh, our social purpose mm -hmm. because then it goes outside of our own organizational control and we're relying on a, a third party to continue to deliver that mission. So it's really important that um, we understand the position of our charitable partner mm. um, and any risks that they are facing and the impact that that might have on us. So let's dig a bit more into the impact side of things now. Um, and there are a couple of things here that I'd like to ask about. One is about measuring um, and you know, we all know that social enterprises need to measure and demonstrate their impact. And the other is about managing, which is about, I suppose, uh, if measuring is about demonstrating to funders and customers and investors, you know, whoever about, you know, people you have contracts with, um, about demonstrating that you make a positive impact. Managing your impact, I guess, is about um, becoming a better organization and and learning not just what you're doing well because we all like to have impact reports that have lovely stories about how great we're doing and what we've done in our communities but also actually being honest with ourselves about what we're not doing so well and how we can improve mm -hmm. um, so with that in mind I'm interested to know what you do about your impact measurement um, and how you manage that process to become a better organisation. Mm -hmm. So our um, key performance indicator is the amount of bread that we have rescued um, from being wasted. So we monitor with every single brew how much bread um, we have used and that we have a, um, a tool that tracks that on a regular basis and is updated on our website so people can go and visit toastale.com and see at any point where we um, are at in terms of the bread rescued. Um, we are constantly, from a management perspective, trying to increase that, and not just by brewing more beer, um, but by getting more bread into the, the beer. Um, so there are lots of technical ways that we can do that. The bread essentially is bringing carbohydrates and we're using the enzymes from the malts um, to break those down for fermentation. Um, but we'd still need a proportion of malt. So we use two thirds malt, a third bread. If we can find another way to add enzymes, then we can increase the amount of bread. Um, there are other challenges that come along with that from the brewing process perspective that we're working on overcoming. Um, but where our, one of our key measures is the amount of bread, then it incentivizes product development and process improvement uh, towards that ultimate goal. Our second KPI is around the amounts um, that we're raising for charity. Um, and so that is therefore guiding our, our sales teams um, and um, yeah, kind of make, as I say, making sure that the way that that donation is used is used in the most efficient way and effective way possible. Um, and maintaining that relationship with our charity partner so that we understand how that money is being spent um, and that is quite complicated because we work with a partner, um, Feedback, who um, campaign for changes to the food system to change the systemic drivers of food waste. 
Um, and some of that work is not uh, measurable on a unit basis. It's about campaigning for industry change, changes to regulations. Um, and so um, it, we're having to work with them to really understand the way that they are deploying their team, for example, the campaigns that they're running and therefore um, the, the work that they're doing to achieve that mission and, and then what the um, impact has been of that, of that campaign, for example, afterwards. A couple of things have come up there. One is this idea of a key performance indicator or a KPI. Um, uh, and I wanted to ask you, Eddie, to, mm. to just explain to us well, what are we talking about here. Some people will be very familiar with KPIs, other people maybe not. So let's look at that. The other thing that I thought um, uh, struck me was that you said, of course, that some things just aren't easy to measure. And it's a big issue that social enterprises have um, is, well, how do we actually put some kind of measurement that people can understand on that so that we can really explain what we are doing well and indeed what we're not? So, Eddie, over to you on the kind of KPIs thing and then maybe some more detail about the, the sort of measurement process and how, how you can do that. Yeah, so, so K, KPIs are a bit of um, a precarious kind of uh, process and, and, and the, the, there's ongoing ever, ever since KPIs first came in to, to, to use. People, people worry about the, 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 the risk that they'll give perverse incentives. Um, so KPIs need to be chosen really, really carefully. But, but typically, that there's something, it's not necessarily the, the naked outcome, so it's not necessarily the number of barrels of beer you produce, it's, it's the number of slices of bread you save, for example. Mm -hmm. but, but also, to look at KPIs, uh, they're often the drivers of, of what you do. So, so if you're looking at the number of um, slices of bread you save, then you're looking at what the proportion of bread to malt is, for example. So, so if you can change that proportion, you can make a big difference to the amount of bread you use. So th those are really good examples of KPIs. Um, in my kind of business, the number of um, hours people work for clients is the first step in working out how much eventually we've provided to clients and, and, and then how useful that work was, how productive they were, all those kind of things come into it. So, so there are always a number of things you could measure um, and, and judge your performance by. Um, the number of hours people are in the office is not a very useful KPI because they're not necessarily doing anything great while they're here, whereas the number of hours that they're engaged in something that a client appreciated is a, is a useful KPI, for example. Um, so I think, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going around it in, in circles, but, but, but the whole thing with KPIs is that um, if you pick something that doesn't actually increase your ability to deliver what you really want to achieve, then people will manage to something that's not actually constructive. So KPIs need to be really selectively chosen. And also, I think, my, my personal view would be you need to have as few of them as you possibly can. Because if you have people having a whole plethora of things you're asking them to manage, they don't know what really to focus on. So, that, so the big, hairy, audacious goal is a brilliant one. And, and a lot of people tend towards that. We should have one big thing we're trying to achieve and maybe a few things underneath that that we know actually directly contribute to that thing. But we don't want to be measuring absolutely everything in sight because it'll just confuse people. They'll, they'll just be um, under too many pressures. And then in terms of measurement, and, and while you were talking about the, the slice of bread, I wondered, so, so if your advocacy in the food supply, for example, if that works and the bread producers suddenly become more efficient and better at delivering just the amount of bread everybody needs, where would you get your raw materials from is, is, is a question that was wandering through my mind. So, so, so then there's the whole, you know, what, what actually, 
um, that there, there are risks actually from success as well as failure. Yeah. Um, from um, it's, we talked about unintended consequences mm. as well, and that is certainly a risk that is on our risk register. And making sure that the bread that we are sourcing is genuine surplus, mm. um, so we don't want a partner that ends up baking to meet our demand, and it doesn't have another use, so it can't be distributed to a food charity, for example. Um, and that is because bread is so abundant and has such a short shelf life. Um, we we're pretty confident that that is never going to happen but we m must make sure that we're always checking that 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 doesn't happen bread production is so abundant that it's very unlikely that we will we will run out of supply um, it's not just about inefficiencies in the supply chain it's the whole way the food system works so for example consumers expecting loaves to be fully stocked on the shelves to supermarkets wanting to make sure that they are day fresh and they're replaced every day um, and uh, the, the um, suppliers having to bake to forecasts, which ultimately change and never quite what the, is actually ordered, and also being incentivized to overproduce because you can't short on a supermarket order, otherwise face fines and ultimately being taken off. All of these complexities within the system has baked in um, a level of overproduction that guarantees waste. But yes, ultimately what we're trying to get to is a system whereby there is no surplus and so there would be no waste. Um, and if we can achieve that and I can say job done, then that for me is a huge um, a, you know, a huge positive impact of the work that we're doing. At the moment we are way we are, you know, that is, we're it's so far from being able to achieve that, um, that there is a very healthy business um, for, for toast for the long term. But yeah, if, if we can get there, then great. Well, it's like so many social missions, isn't it? You're, you're treating the symptoms while you're trying to solve yeah. it at the same yeah. time. So, yeah. yeah. So you, are you mitigating the risk by, you know, looking at other things that you can brew into, into beer or are you not there yet? No, not at the moment. No, uh, we are working with one single bakery, um, a large bakery, but one, one single bakery. Um, we're taking um, their waste maybe once a week. Um, so we can upscale with them. There, are, yeah. there is so many, yeah. And then we can move beyond bakeries. We've worked with the sandwich industry in the past, for example, mm -hmm. taking the crust end of the loaves that are a byproduct of sandwich production. Um, and that requires, you know, a huge behaviour change to get somebody to be going to their local retailer and buying sandwiches made of, of crusts. Um, so, yeah, we still have a long way to go. And so is, I guess some of your, uh, your impact measurement is about changing the system and changing the way in which the sort of bread industry works. But you're saying that actually that's going to be a good thing because there's always going to be surplus bread out, out there anyway. So it's not going to damage your, your business. No, so I think there will always be surplus, but we do want to reduce that as far as possible. Mm. Um, in order for us to get anywhere near RBHAG, though, we know we can't do this alone. Um, so we are now looking at a way of producing a crumb product that is an ingredient for other brewers that they can buy in the same way as they would buy malt um, that resolves all the challenges that we currently face with the sourcing, um, the processing of the, of the ingredient. What we want to do is get the industry to a 
position of being more circular um, and help us to achieve our, our BHAG um, by, by creating a B2B product that will make that easier and is also cost competitive for them. So they can also achieve um, some of the, for example, the carbon savings that now everybody is looking to achieve, achieve by using a, a waste product um, instead of malt, which has a high carbon footprint. Um, and then together as an industry, we can we can really start to eat into the surplus bread. But yeah, I think even at that scale, there's still a long way to go to completely um, eliminate waste. And how, Eddie, can we account for the change mm. that an organisation makes both to its beneficiaries, but also to the systems and the supply chains, the, the supply chains that, and the people who are within them. Yeah, I, I, I think we, we've already highlighted that. Louisa talked about the fact that some some of the ways, especially the partners' work, are more more qualitative than, than quantitative, and and lobbying and and and, and things like that. You, you you can see particular outcomes maybe in terms of policy or decisions that companies make, but then measuring your contribution to the changes that happened yeah that there's cause that there's all that stuff around um being able to properly take credit for changes that may or may not have happened anyway but but in terms of measuring some of those broader um things i i i, I, I don't think you really can sometimes and, and sometimes telling the story and, and articulating clearly what you did what changed because of it and having a plausible explanation of, of what you think will have happened because of it is is about as far as you're going to get because some things and it's an accountant saying this you can't put numbers on there they're not they're not directly measurable but there's other things which I was interested in actually that, that if, if you look at some of the um, statistics that you, you put out about what you do you, you, you talk about how much water you save through what you do and some of that sort of um, by proxy and influence and, and and there are ways of doing that so you, you, you can know that a typical this process typically uses this much water. Therefore, we know that if we use a thousand slices of bread, we can infer that that much water was saved. Um, I guess then it's back to the question I asked a, a second ago, though, that if the manufacturer is then ashamed into getting better at their water usage, uh, that's a good thing, but you'll save less water going forward. But, but actually, you could then claim that you've saved masses of water, even though there's less current usage being avoided, if you see what I mean. So, 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 so actually measuring and, and laying all these things out in a really neat and tidy way isn't always possible. It's, it's, some of it's around storytelling and, and proper articulation and, and narrative rather than being able to really count because some of it's iterative and, and difficult to, to quantify. Yeah. So if it's difficult, where do you go for help? Oh, well, all sorts of places, but... Uh, where do you go? Where do you go to, I mean, how did you decide how to... You, you mentioned uh, your impact reporting. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know when you started to do that, but has someone helped you put that together? Have you, have you um, gone to an expert and said, give me some tools here? No, my prior to Toast, I was uh, working in carbon footprinting. Mm -hmm. um, so I had five years of my career spent with the Carbon Trust, working on measuring um, the carbon footprint of businesses and products and then action plans um, for reducing emissions. Um, so I have the technical knowledge to be able to do our carbon accounting. Um, and then for me, the impact report is telling the story of the work that we've been doing. Um, and 
it has to be authentic and honest and transparent about the challenges we face as well as the positive change that we're having. Um, and I felt that my telling that story with my own voice was really important. Mm. So I write our annual impact reports, which we've been doing for the past three years now and improving significantly every time. And after each impact report, mm -hmm. um, what have you changed to make you a better organisation? Um, so it depends on the measurement within uh, the, that, the previous year and where I've identified the biggest negative impact is for us as a business and where the positive impact has been. Try to lever down one and lift up the other. Um, so, for example, um, uh, our 2019 report, we identified that actually, even though as a small business based in the UK with collaborations internationally, we were doing fairly small amounts of international travel. It was a big proportion of our carbon footprint. Mm. Um, and so we we had committed within our 2019 report to travel far less and not at all. Of course, then uh, the pandemic hit and that very much helped us and not just because it meant we couldn't travel, but I think it meant that our stakeholders learned how to use video conferencing, mm. for example, and so it became much more normalized. And so it's easier for us to decline to attend the meetings now or to suggest to to do it that way instead. Um, other big impacts uh, were in packaging. Uh, our bottles are responsible for, a, well, our packaging in total is responsible for a huge amount of our emissions, um, but bottles are the biggest part of our packaging. So we wanted to switch um, more towards um, cans, but also to look at um, packaging free options. Mm -hmm. So we worked with Waitrose to introduce a, um, a system within a select number of their stores, their unpacked stores, where you could buy a reusable growler, um, a, gla a large glass bottle, mm -hmm. and take that to be refilled at your local Waitrose. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, kind of encouraging people to think more about the reuse of packaging. So there's some very specific actions that we committed to take and have started to work on. Um, there are other things like improving uh, the efficiency of the use of bread so that we can get more bread um, into, into every beer. Um, and I would also want, I'm working now, I want to get to a point where we can capture some of the carbon that's coming out of our processes, fermentation releases a lot of carbon and we're using carbon separately in the processes and the mm. carbonation of the beer. So if we can make that more circular, um, that would be a, a huge impact um, on our carbon footprint. So a lot of really good environmental stuff there. On the yes, social side yes. of things, how do, you, how do you improve those? And do you, do you actually go out to your stakeholders and involve them in your impact measurement process? So from the social perspective, our focus, I guess, has been on the team um, and making sure that we are asking the team about their experiences um, in work and their own you know, their mental health. Um, and so that we can make sure that the policies and processes that we have in place are fit for purpose mm -hmm. for, for looking after them. Um, we introduced, for example, 360 degree feedback to make sure that that, 
people were able to feed back to the senior team um, as well as receiving feedback themselves and and trying to learn what it was that made people happier at, at work and making sure that we were able to deliver some of those things for example more training um, making sure that we were giving people time off in lieu if they'd they'd worked overtime. Mm. Um, we haven't yet really gone out to our wider community and asked people how we can support the wider stakeholder groups mm -hmm. um, in a formal way anyway. I think we do it in an ad hoc way through social media. Um, I think with us being quite a small team, we're quite tuned into um, what our audience is communicating back to us, but social media is actually a really good way of listening. They call it social listening to understand mm. what's happening mm. um, and getting direct um, feedback from, from people that we're able to respond to. Um, <clears throat> and then I guess working with our charity partners as well to through the pandemic to understand how we could better support them to deliver their social mission. Mm was was really helpful as well and have you changed that at all as well um we have so after the meal deal we have focused again on our environmental mission um, but we do have taken learnings from the meal deal in that people although they appreciate there's it's very difficult to measure the systemic changes people do want to be able to say i've enjoyed a beer and i've done x y and z and for that to be much more measurable so that we've launched a campaign called Companion where we've brought together 25 other breweries with COP26. And through that, we've funded um, 26 pounds from every box to go to two charities. Mm. One is a Rainforest Trust UK. We want to help them to protect existing rainforests. And the other is Soil Heroes who work with farmers on a regenerative journey. And with those, we can say, that we're able to save X amount of trees and also to draw down carbon into the soils um, through regenerative practices. So although we also have our underlying partnership with Feedback that is working on systemic issues, we're able to also um, deliver impact in a measurable way that we can communicate to people drinking the beer. Just explain the meal deal again, please. So for the meal deal, uh, we pivoted during the lockdown and we funded a meal for somebody in need with every purchase of beer on our website. Uh, in total, over 46,000 meals were funded, and that was using food from the supply chain that would otherwise have been wasted because restaurants um, and other hospitality businesses were closed down. Um, so helping to reroute those to charitable partners mm. who then either prepared them into cooked meals to deliver or bagged them up into groceries and then delivered to mm. people's homes. Great, okay. Eddie, anything in summary that you would like to add um, around impact measurement and management? I think really just reflecting um, and 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 you, you've said that, that 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 what you're measuring takes a massive amount of expertise and you had five years experience to do it, but but inherently environmental impacts, carbon, water, things like that are are countable. Um, and I think the only thing I would reflect is that some social businesses have a much harder time counting uh, the, the, the achievements they have because they're more to do with well-being and, mm. and social outcomes. And also the consequences, say, of keeping somebody out of prison are, are many and, and unpredictable. So actually, in, in some ways, you're, you're in a business where counting 
what you achieve, given what you set out to achieve, is is doable in a way that it might not be for other businesses, which is fantastic. But then the broader um, stuff around the fact that you know the planet might survive if you achieve some of your objectives is is much much bigger than just counting units of carbon and, and bits of water, isn't it? So it's uh, yeah, I, th I think any kind of social environmental good uh, th there are things you can count that really say well this is doing good because this is important or else this will happen um, but there are other things that we we just have to use our imaginations to see where the benefit is so just to close in a quick top tip from both of you on either risk or impact measurements mm. <laughs> well I, I, I mean I'd, I'd say on, on impact measurement which comes back to the points we were making around KPIs, key performance indicators, those kind of things, is is really um, work out what the most important things are to achieving that BHAG, uh, and and measure those. Um, so me measure what matters is is the most important thing about any kind of measuring system. But when you're talking about impact, even more so because if if you get into the sort of uh, tangential ephemeral stuff, you, you 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 could spend your whole life measuring little social outcomes you have. But, but focusing on that one big objective really helps. And I guess even though measurement is difficult, do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if, it, if it matters, you can probably measure it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. And to build on that, I'd say also make sure you're communicating the impacts that you're having. Um, not just because it, I think it holds you therefore accountable, um, but also it can inspire others um, and we are seeing a much bigger shift now that I think is as a result of the work that's been put in by social enterprises over many years um, to normalise the fact that actually business can be run for good and not just for profit. Um, so make sure that you measure your impact and then shout about it. And I think that comes right back to social enterprise's job is to do itself out of business by showing everybody you can do things in a better way and then everybody else will jump in and do it that way too. And actually, uh, it really highlights the importance of telling a good social enterprise story and the importance of storytelling, not because storytelling is about, uh, you know, finding uh, kind of lovely ways to kind of try and persuade people to buy your product necessarily, um, not because storytelling is about kind of pulling the wool over people's eyes, but if you can do real authentic storytelling, um, it will actually be play a key role in helping you to change things for the better. Absolutely. Mm, Great. Thank you very much to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. So thanks once again to our experts, Eddie Finch of Buttercott Accountants and Louisa Zian from Toast Ale. I'm Tim West from Pioneers Post, and we'll see you again for our next conversation in the Fit for the Future series.